Good morning, church. How you guys doing? Good. It's pretty gross outside, but it's good in here, right? Amen? All right. There you go. Hey, uh, we're, in, we're in the book of James, and um, we've been going through this letter that James has written for the last couple weeks. Uh, we did not do it last week. Uh, we were at the campground last week, um, and that was a lot of fun, right? So we, we got together with Missio Day, um, one of our partner churches, and, and worshiped, and uh, through both singing and hearing the proclamation of God's word together. So I, wanna, I do want to thank Mark uh, for just letting us use your campground, and Mark is out there um, directing traffic and parking guys, so we're just so thankful that he let us use that um, and worship him. I know he, he wants to see things like that happen uh, at Bear Den, so I, I'm just thankful for them and, and their family. So, um, so we've been out of James for just a week, so I want to catch you guys up briefly on what's happened. So we're, we've been going through this letter uh, that James wrote, and we made the case that this James that has written this letter is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he doesn't call himself that, but we made the case that because he doesn't call himself that, it must be him, right? So that because he didn't have to say who he was, people would just receive him and understand, oh, that's James. Like, that must be the James that everyone knows, and that is the James who is uh, Jesus' half-brother. And he's, um, He doubted Jesus when Jesus lived. Jesus is resurrected. He becomes a believer. He becomes a player in the early church becomes a pastor and leader in Jerusalem. So this is a guy with, with authority who's writing to the churches who have, been, who have been driven out and separated through persecution. He's writing to them. Um, and we're actually really going to get into why he's writing them. The, 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 last week, or two weeks ago rather, he really s- just talked about trials and suffering because these people were being persecuted. They were poor. They didn't have a lot. And so he wanted to write to them and encourage them that you should count it joy when you meet various trials. And so we walked through that and saw how, hey, there's going to be, there's a, there's a reason we can count it joy, because God is making us more like Christ, and also there's going to be some battles we're going to fight. We're going to be tempted to compare our trials to other people's trials, and we should not do that. We're going to be tempted to um, think God is not good, but he is a good father. Every good gift we have comes from him. And so now we're going to pick it up, and, and James is really going to hinge his letter here and change the direction of it, and pretty much for the rest of the letter, it's going to be about one kind of drumbeat of this idea of do not be deceived. And so we're going we're gonna to start, we're going to do one verse again that we've already covered. Uh, if you've been following along, and I hope you have, you might have realized verse 18 seems familiar uh, because we already talked about it. But I think it, it's, it's this hinge verse that we really need to understand before we move on to the rest of the letter, we need to talk about this verse again. And so verse 18 says, of his own will, this is James writing, about God, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that he should be a kind of first fruits, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we talked about, when we talked about this verse two weeks ago, this idea that God has chosen us, that of his own will he has decided that we would be his, and we'd be first fruits of his creatures, right? So we'd be this kind of, this new creation is what God is building here. And I want to really just talk about that briefly, that, that the reason why God had saved us isn't just so that we could be saved, but he's making this new creation that's going to glorify him. And so in the beginning of the Bible, we have God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. God created everything, and it was good. Created man, created woman, placed in the garden. Their job was to go out into the rest of the earth and make the rest of the earth look like the garden. And it was this creation account. And then Sin enters the world, fractures that, and then now, instead of man ruling over creation, creation began to rule over man. 
And then the rest of the Bible is about God bringing that back to the way it was meant to be. Redeeming that, reconciling that back to him. And, and, and in, in the end, we have this new creation that's coming. We started with a garden in Genesis, and we'll end with a city in Revelation. It's, it's going to be better. Eve, gar, or Eden was good. The end will be perfect. It's going to be better. It's, it's growing. It's different. It's going to be this amazing thing here that we're going to have in Revelation. And so that we are right now a part of that new creation. We're not perfect, but we've, as Christians, we've been changed, and we're being changed, and we will be changed. So we are the first fruits of his creatures. We are new. We are being renewed. And, and so James is going to transition here. He's going to talk about what does this new creation look like? What is this kingdom that God is building? What does it look like? And he's going to talk about these things that new creatures do, that new creatures should do, and that they will do because it's in their nature to do these things. And so in verse 19, he continues, he says, know this. So this is something you should know. My beloved brothers, he's talking to both men and women. We're all positionally brothers and, and inheritors of, uh, in Christ Jesus. Let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm going to say that one more time because I think some of you guys are slow to hear. Um, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. See, he's going to talk about this idea about hearing, speaking, and anger. And, and, and the, the thing I think we need to realize is that these are things that we should just do. This is what the new kingdom, the, new cre uh, the, the kingdom of God, what the new creation is going to do. It's going to be filled with people who are slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to hear. Now, we may hear that and be like, you know what? I feel like I'm good at that. I listen to people. I hear people. I don't speak that much, and I don't get angry that much. But I, I would submit that if we really, like, look at our lives, we, even when we're hearing people, we're not really hearing them, Right? When people are talking to us, what are, what, are, what are we doing most of the time? We're thinking about what we're going to say next, right? So, so and, and we're going to see this in a minute, but James is going to go to the heart of this thing. He's not gonna, just going to be like, hey, you know, make sure you don't talk when other people talk. Make sure you don't, like, get physically angry. He's going to go to the heart of this in a moment. But we need to realize that we probably don't listen as well as we think we do. We speak more than we think we do. And I, I, I want to humbly, because I'm a part of this, humbly submit, I think we're angrier than we think we are. I think we are enslaved to much more anger than we believe. Some of us have been hurt, and we've been wounded, and we feel like we have this right to be angry. And, and, and maybe there, there is a point where, you know what, there's this initial like, hey, this isn't right, God's angry, I can be angry. But there's a point where we're enslaved to anger, and it becomes to rule us, that our, our anger, our frustration with our circumstances, what's happened to us, what's been done to us, begins to rule who we are. And I just want us to think about our hearts for a moment. Yeah, like, you know what? There's probably not a lot of murderers in here this morning, but when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, you've heard it said, do not murder your brother, but I say do not harbor anger towards your brother, because that's murder in the heart. So there's this idea that our anger that we harbor towards other is like murder. And so let's wrestle with that. Like, don't just read this and be like, you know what, I feel like I don't, I don't get that angry. Man, dads, moms, like, we get angry with our kids. I've got three, um, and they, varying degrees of obedience, seems to be going downhill the more we have. Um, but, like, there's this propensity to get angry and to get frustrated. 
And look, it is not righteous anger. You can be like, you know what? You should. You should discipline and obey your kids. The most of the time I get angry is not because I'm worried about my kid's soul. It's because I'm annoyed. I'm inconvenienced. That's why I get angry. That's not the righteousness of God, right? I'm, I'm angry because I don't get to finish what I was doing. I'm angry because my son wants to help do the dishes, which means I have to do them twice. Um, and so, like, there's these ideas that, like, yeah, like, you know what? You should do these things. But, you know, the anger that I have is not, the, is not good anger. Because let's, let's be honest, James and even Paul, when he writes in Ephesians about anger, they leave room that it doesn't say do not ever be angry. It says be slow to anger. There's things that we as Christians should be angry about. There's, there's injustices in this world that should make us angry. But not because my kid is, is like asking me 40 times if he can have a cookie. That should make me angry. Now, there, we might have to talk because that's not Okay. But it shouldn't make me angry, but it does. And so we have this anger, and we can talk about marriage. We can talk about the workplace when you're boss. Like, I just feel like, man, and I, I know people like dog on our, my generation, but like, I think all of us have this varying level degrees, varying degrees of entitlement where you just feel like, this shouldn't be happening to me. They shouldn't talk to me that way. And we get angry. Like, this shouldn't happen. Not me. Not this. That person doesn't deserve, can't talk to me like that. Like, there's these ideas that this just shouldn't happen. And so we harbor this anger. I don't want to labor on this point too long, but I want you to see you're probably more angry than you think, you speak more than you think, and you don't hear as well as you should. And this isn't to beat us up, but I want us to see that we need something. So here's what happens. James is going to continue on in verse 20. He says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So James is writing this letter to, to believers, uh, or to people who are going to church, right? He says, to, to, the, to the people who are, are dispersed. He's writing this, this letter, and he's saying, hey, brothers, listen, know this. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He wants to say, like, the way that you're acting, the way that you're speaking to people, the way that you're getting angry with people, that is not pleasing to God our Father. This doesn't please him. It grieves him. It does not produce the righteousness, the perfection of God. And he continues on, verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is going to go right for the heart here. Here's what I love about James and why we do what we do here. You can see it. Like, here's what James is going to do. Hey, guys, don't be so angry. Here's like five ways to stop being so angry. Like, he doesn't do that. He says, don't be angry, put it off, and receive the word of truth. What is that word of truth? We've, it's actually like kind of a theme in the first chapter of James. He said that of his own will, verse 18, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'd be kind of first fruits of his creation. So you know how you should stop being so angry? Is it just to like, I'm going to stop being angry, or I'm going to read a book about anger? Anger? No is to receive with meekness the gospel of Jesus Christ. To put off those things, put off filthiness and, all, and rampant uh, wickedness, to put off those things and put on and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's why we do, this is why we center around the gospel in everything we do. Sunday mornings, the songs we sing, the, the way we preach, the way we do communion, everything we do, we want to center. We don't do it perfectly, but everything we do, our desire is to center it around the gospel because it's the gospel that's going to change us. Not a list of ways to not be angry, not 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 list of ways to live our best life now, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is going to re come into us and will change us from the inside out. And that's why the gospel is so important. The gospel 
will not be this thing that you just receive once for salvation. It's this thing that you receive over and over and over again. Not to keep getting saved, but because you are in Christ, you receive it over and over again because it is that that will not only save your soul, but transform your life and carry us home in the end. Like, this is the gospel. So James is going to go right to the heart. Your issue isn't that you just, like, get angry and you speak harshly to people. Your issue is in your heart, and only the gospel, only the word of truth can, can save you. Only the word of truth can change you. So he continues on. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is why he's going to hit this drum over and over and over again. Speaking, listening, and anger is going to be a common theme throughout James. And he just told us why he will continue to talk about it over and over and over again. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's James' concern with the church. In his time, and I think there's a concern in our time too, is that there's people who hear the gospel they hear the word, it doesn't change their life, they leave, and they've deceived themselves, thinking they're Christians and they're not Christians, because they've heard the word, they've heard the gospel, but the gospel has not transformed, it has not regenerated their soul, has not, the Holy Spirit has not changed their life, and so because of that, James's concern is that they may be deceived. This is why he's writing this letter. He has this fear that his people are deceived, that they hear the gospel, they hear the words that James is preaching, they hear the words that their elders are preaching, but they're not doers. And then because they're not doers, they say, he would later say their faith is dead. They have no faith. And they may not be Christians. And he's concerned. He does not want his, his, his children, his people in his church to be deceived. He says, for if anyone... Oh, he's going he's to tell us what this looks like. like. Like, what would it look like for us to be deceived? Because I know no one in here is deceived, right? So what would it, like, hypothetically speaking, what would it look like for us to be deceived? He tells us, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. That's a weird description of what it looks like to be deceived, Right? I think the reason why is because we look at mirrors a lot in our day. Like all of us right now, we know what we look like. Like all of us do. Like I might not know exactly what my hair is doing because I've like moved around. Like my, my hair touches the, like the top of the car when I get in because I'm tall. And so like I don't know exactly what my hair is doing right now. I'll find out on Facebook later or Margie will tell me. But like I know what I look like. And you guys know what you look like. The study was done. The average person looks in a mirror eight times a day. That seems like a lot. Sometimes it seems like it's not even close to that, like it's way more. Um, but the average person looks in the mirror eight, about eight times a day. They didn't have mirrors like we do back then. And the mirrors they had, they weren't as clear. Like think more like funhouse mirrors, like fuzzy and weird and like kids have been touching it all the time and it's just like, it's grimy, it's wavy, like they couldn't see themselves. And I know it's hard for us to imagine an entire culture that really they don't know what they look like. Like, think about that for a second. Like, could you imagine being where you are today, just really not exactly sure what you look like? Like, you, you, like you know the shape. You can look down and be like, okay, I know stuff's going on. But, like, your face, you're kind of like, hey, like, I don't know, my beard might not be even. Like, stuff could be happening. It could be, there could be some dirt, some, some, some food I'm not sure about because I just I don't have a mirror. 
and the mirrors I do have aren't, aren't a clear reflection. And so this isn't like this weird, like we, we read this passage where we're like, oh, it's like a, you know, it's really, it's like almost like this rare thing. Like who could look at a mirror intently, like really looking at it and then walk away and forget what they look like? Like that's a weird thing, right? It wasn't weird back then. This is actually a common thing James is describing. Someone could look in a mirror intently and walk away and really not know what they look like because it was like they don't look in a mirror that often. And so it's someone who forgets. They, they hear the word of truth. They hear the gospel. They hear the preaching of the word. And they walk away and they forget what they heard. And they don't, that nothing happens in their life. And look, there, there's people at the grove who come to the grove. They come here on Sunday mornings. We gather. We hear the word. We preach the word. We sing the word. We, we, we're, we're about the word. But some of you, before we even take communion, before we even walk out the doors, forget what you heard. Maybe we forget on Monday or Tuesday, but we're hearers and not doers. We hear and we forget. So, so here's the thing. This isn't like a, a sermon to try and scare people. Like, okay, so I have, I have kids and I have a son who's older. He's not older, he's six, but he's older than the rest of the kids. And um, he apologizes for everything. Like, even when he didn't do anything wrong. Like, maybe, maybe Salome's, my, my daughter's in trouble, and so I'm talking to them, and he then goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm like, you didn't even do anything. Like, stop being sorry. Now there's something to be sorry about. You keep saying sorry too much, and you're, like, misusing the word, and it doesn't even mean anything anymore. But this is, like, his, his he, he's, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And there's probably some things we probably should, like, take him to therapy for. Maybe he, like, is so afraid he's going to disappoint us. I mean, like, we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, God's sovereign. We'll, we'll figure that out. But... Here's what I don't want. There's people in here who are hearers of the word and doers. They may, be, they may be new to their faith. They may be like they're in a vulnerable spot. I don't want them to hear this passage and be like, oh, I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be like my son and be like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's not what I want. But I don't want anyone to be deceived. I don't want people to, to hear the word Sunday after Sunday and home group after home group and, and that word not ever change them and think they're okay. Because they're not. If you hear the word of truth and it doesn't change you, you're, you're, you're not a Christian. Like if, there, if you walk away after Sunday mornings and there's no desire for obedience, Notice I didn't say there's no obedience. There's no desire for obedience. Because some of us want to obey, we just don't do it. There's no desire for obedience. Our lives are marked characteristically by a life of disobedience where we know what's true and we don't do it. Like we know what God says about sex. We know what God says about purity and sex. And we're like, I'm gonna do it my way. Our life is characteristically marked by that. We know what God says about marriage, and our life is characteristically marked by doing it a different way. We know what God says about our finances, and our life is marked characteristically another way. Like, this is the idea where you know what's true, and you're just like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Some of you in here, you want to do it. I praise God for that. Like, I know you struggle, and you stumble, and I struggle, and I stumble. But I'm talking to the people who hear it, and leave and just don't even care. Like, oh, that was cool. You, you think coming here on Sundays and hearing something makes you right with God. And it doesn't. God's not fooled by that. God doesn't see you sitting here like, oh, yeah, I know he's like crazy the rest of the week and doesn't care about me the rest of the week, but hey, Sundays he's cool, so I'm cool with him. That's not how this thing works. And look, you can't do this 
Like, this isn't about you doing more stuff. You've got to hear me. James is not saying, go do more stuff to be, to be right with God. What did he say? Re- receive with meekness the gospel. That's the answer. So, so if you're here today, and you're deceived, and you've thought, man, I am a Christian. I come to church on Sundays. My grandmother is a Christian. I was born in church, like, just straight up on the stage. Like, this is my life. I've been a Christian forever but you've not been transformed by the gospel, I am so glad you're here today. Like, maybe this is God calling you to submit yourselves, not just to a gospel that saves, but that a gospel that transforms. To a gospel that compels us to live differently. Because here's, here's what James would say about the gospel. He'd say, for he looks at himself and goes away, and once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word law here could, could it's, it's the same word for word and word of truth. It's this idea that it's the same thing. It's just different English word. So, so he, here's, what, here's what James is saying. The one who looks in the perfect word, the perfect word of truth, the law of liberty, the word of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word, the law of liberty. Let's think about that for a second. What does that mean, law of liberty? Like, that seems like an important thing for us to understand, this idea of freedom. We have such a jacked-up view of freedom today in the American church because we see freedom as being able to do whatever I want with no one telling us what to do, right? That's our view of freedom, because that's the, that's the American Constitution. If the Constitution doesn't say I can't do it, then I can do it. Like, it's this idea that freedom is being able to do whatever I want. That is not the freedom that the Bible talks about. The reason why the, the Bible uses this idea of freedom is because you were slaves to sin. Not, not to free you to do whatever you want, but to free you from your sin. This idea of free will needs to really be defined, Before Christ, you know what our free will is before we come to Christ? It's being able to do whatever we want. Here's the problem. We only want sin. We only want sin. We're enslaved to it. The Bible says we are slaves to sin, dead in our trespasses. So we, yeah, sure, free will. You can do whatever you want before Christ. But the only thing you're ever going to want is sin. You may be like, no, 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 I helped, the girl, I helped this old lady across the street once. <coughs> yeah, but you did it because you wanted to look good about helping an old lady across the street. I know that because you just told me about it, and so you're prideful about it. Like, this is the idea that even your righteousness, Isaiah would say, even your righteousness is as filthy rags. Like, even the good deeds you do are sinful. So the idea of freedom in the Bible is not freeing you to do whatever you want, but it's freeing you from that enslavement. So now Christ comes into your life, the gospel is implanted, it changes you, and now you're freed from sin, and you're freed to do what you want, but now you can want more than just sin. Like, this is the gospel, that you have new desires, that there's, there's a battle going in, in, inside you, there's this war happening inside you where you, your only desire is no longer just sin, but you have this other new desire that's welling up inside you, and you're free to choose that desire now. Does this make sense? Like this, this idea of freedom, so the law of liberty, this word, the gospel of freedom, is not to say to the alcoholic, hey, you're freed from the alcoholism, you can drink if you want to, and go right back into the way you were. 
but it's to say to the one who struggles and is addicted, you're freed from that. You don't have to go back to that. So freeing from our sin is not freedom to do whatever we want, but it's free from that sin, so you don't have to go back to that. Sin will continue to call your name and tempt you, but you no longer have to answer because you're in Christ. Like this is the law of liberty, the gospel of freedom. And so this is, this is what happens. It's not about doing more, about, all right, I just need to stop being so angry so I can be a Christian. No. You come to Christ. The gospel changes you, and you stop being so angry. So here's what this has to be. This cannot be a Sunday where you hear this sermon and you're like, okay, I gotta do more. The idea of what you do and what you don't do is meant to be used diagnostically. And what I mean by that, let's say you're at the doctor's, they're checking your blood pressure, and you have high blood pressure. You could just try your hardest to stop having high blood pressure, right? Like you could try and calm yourself and try and like breathe slower. And to a degree, you could probably lower your blood pressure a few points. But you're not going to fix the cause that's causing your blood pressure to be high. So the blood pressure test is not going to solve your blood pressure problem. It's diagnostic. It's saying, hey, we noticed your blood pressure is high. There's an issue somewhere over here. We don't know where it is, but there's an issue here. We've got we to figure out what that is and then deal with it. The idea that you're a hearer of the word and not a doer is not meant to say, all right, start doing stuff, but it's say, hey, okay, hey, look, it looks like you just hear the gospel a lot and it never changes you. There's an issue going on over here. We've got to figure out what that is. We've got to fix it with the gospel. That's the medicine of God is the gospel. So that's what this Sunday has to be. That's what this sermon has to be about. We have to, the, go, the gospel has to rule our life. The gospel has to set us free. Being um, a pastor for, uh, of the Grove for three years and, and, and being in ministry for the last, I don't know, 11 plus years in Spruce Pine and then even before that, here's the thing I found about Christians, or I'm sorry, people who think they're Christians and aren't, is that there's even like a part of you that like you know like you know you're just going through the motions you know you don't really have a desire for Jesus like heaven seems really boring to you because you're just going to be with Jesus all the time you're like I don't even that seems super boring um, I get it like when I first started going to church they're like you're just going to sing forever you're like that seems super awful um, and I don't want to do that I don't like singing here I'm not going to want to sing for eternity am I the only one who felt like that really that seems odd okay <laughs> Um, well, it's confession time for me, I guess. So, hey, that's how I felt. But we know that we really don't want Jesus, and there's part of us that understand that. And, and here's what I found. I've said this before, but here's what I found, is that the reason why people don't want to follow Jesus is because they're afraid they're going to lose something in their life. Like, there, there's parts of their life where they know, like, man, if I draw near to God and I follow him, like, he's going to take this from me. And I like this too much. Whether it's like the way you do, um, the way you do relationships and with the opposite sex, or the, the way you do your marriage, the way you parent, like or the way you, you, you use your finances, or what, I don't know what your idol is and what you worship that's not God, but whatever that is, you're afraid, man, God's going to touch this, and I don't know if I want him to touch this, so I'm just going to stay over here. 
I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to chase after the things of God because I'm afraid that if I come close, God will deal with this idol, this issue in my heart. You will end up losing everything you're trying to save by trying to save it. Like the life that Jesus offers is worth losing yours. And I don't mean death, but, I, but it's true. The life that Jesus gives is worth losing everything you have. It's worth, it's worth losing it all. Like, it's better than this. And so, for those who are in here like, man, like, I would love to follow Jesus, but I don't, really don't want to mess with this thing in my life, or I, I don't want to stop doing this, or... It's worth it. Give it up. Come to him. Let the gospel free you. Let the gospel rule over you. Submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be his, and he will be yours, and you'll have God forever. And that is better than anything you can try and save on this earth. So submit it to him. Come back to him. James is going to bring it all the way back here in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious that does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So the way, the way he's using religion here is not a bad word like it is today, right? You hear people say today, like, oh, it's not religion, it's relationship. And like, I get what we're saying. It's actually true if we use today's definition of religion, but religion back then meant faith, all right? So, like, we, th- we can't read this and be like, I thought we weren't a religion. We were a faith and a people or in a church, but that's not, it's, it's different word, use of the word religion. If anyone thinks he is religious in a good way and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion, this person's faith is worthless. Man. Some of you guys are visiting today, and you're like, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church, right? Like, this, this isn't good. But hey, look, like, this is, like, we go verse by verse through Scripture, and this is where we are, and I don't know how else to read verse 26, except for, if you think you have faith, and your tongue's just out of control, you've deceived your heart, and your faith is worthless. Like, like, the the Greek word for worthless here is worthless, that's, there's no, there's no getting around it. Like, it's just worthless. Again, this isn't, all right, I'm going to control my tongue, because you will not be able to control your tongue. You will not be able to control your tongue. I wish I could be less sarcastic to my wife. Like, that would make my marriage, like, ten times better. I promise. That's, like, my biggest thing is, like, you guys, this is, this is my, this is, this isn't good. Um, this is what I do. Some people, and I've heard other people say this before, and it's true of me, this is why I say it. Some people lay in bed and they're like, man, I should have said this, I should have said this. I lay in bed and I'm just like, I freaking shouldn't have said that. Like, I cannot believe I said that. I'm in so much trouble. I need to take that back. I need to go apologize. That's my life, is I just talk way faster than I should. And I don't want to do it. I don't. And so I, I pray, I'm like, God, make me slow to speak. I don't want to speak so quickly. And God's changing stuff. But it's still this, like, this is my thing, is like, my, my wit and my quickness to think is just like, it's such a curse in, 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 my, in our marriage. Like, you can't control your tongue. I've tried. I've tried, like, I've tried different things. There's this, there's the, I saw on uh, Shark Tank, there was this, like, bracelet thing that would, like, shock you when you do stuff. And I was like, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what I need. Um, but... Like, it doesn't read sarcasm, so someone would have to shock it, and I don't think Margie's ready for that. Um, like, I don't think maturity lies, she's ready for that. So, um, 
like you can't control your tongue. You're just not going to be able to. You need the gospel. You need the word of truth to be implanted in you, to receive it with meekness. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Faith, saving faith, true saving faith bears the fruit of love. That's what he's saying. It bears the fruit of love. You will love people. You will love people who the rest of the world sees as unlovable. Orphans, widows, the afflicted, the marginalized. This is our Christian love and our service is to love those. I remember, and he's going to get into partiality, um, but I'll share this story now. I might, you might, this might be the, like, the first time you hear it twice during the sermon series. But I remember um, I was a youth pastor somewhere, and uh, this kid started coming to church. And this kid had parents who were, like, wealthy, and this kid was popular. And um, I literally, this will give you some insight of why we plant on the grove. Um, I heard the words come out of my pastor's mouth. Hey, you really gotta like, you really gotta like chase after this kid because you get this kid, like we'll get his parents and you'll get more kids because he's super popular. He'll bring more kids to youth group. And I was just like, oh no, that's not how this works at all. Like, have you read James? Like, I just like, I don't know why that was a weird, weird British thing right there. But like, have you, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I was like, have you read James? Like, this isn't how we do ministry. Like, this isn't like, it's to love, not, not that like, oh, your parents are rich, so I'm not going to like you. But it's like, no, I'm going to go after everyone equally, but especially those who aren't loved. Especially those who are marginalized and on the outcasts and the outskirts of society. Those are the people we intentionally go after, the orphans, the widows, those who can't fend for themselves. And so today, what should we do? Yeah, yeah, orphans and widows today, yes and amen. But there are other marginalized people in our society that we, we, we can take this verse and apply that to. I had a guy come into, uh, so as you don't know, I also have another job. Um, I sell board games online uh, and other things too, like hobby supplies and paints and weird things like that, um, like little coin um, collecting things, but if you want those. Um, so I do this thing, and, and so we have this place where we have board games, and we have, we have some game nights, and people come and play, and I had this guy come into my office, um, just like random, middle of the day, random. Um, uh, just straight up looked like he got dressed in the Matrix, um, like trench coat. It wasn't rainy or cold. And just like, just looked different. I'm not making fun of it. Just look, he looked different. And he came into my office and he was like, hey man, um, I want to give you some money. And I was like, I don't, why? Like, I don't, what's going on right now? It was weird, weirdest interaction. And he's like, well, like you guys received a package and you brought it to us. And I was like, that's just what people do. Like, you don't need to pay me because we received, you know, the, the package was dropped off at the wrong address. We brought it to you. Um, but he's like, no man, like you've, you're creating a place that's like where geeks can be safe and play and, and do things. And I just want, I want to give you, hand me 10 bucks. And I didn't know what to do, so I took it. Um, I think it's still sitting like where I left it. But like I took it, like I was just so amazed that this guy felt so marginalized because he liked to play like Magic the Gathering, which people think is weird or evil. It's a, it's a card game. If you don't know what it is, you can Google it. Um, and he, he, he felt so disconnected from society he, he was so excited. He wanted to be just a part of creating a safe place for people to play games. Like, those are also the people that we're chasing after, that we're praying for, that God would do a work in their lives, that God would 
would make these people not just hearers of the gospel, but doers. But where are you today? You sitting here today, is, that, is your life marked by love? Is your li- life marked by being slow to speak? Or is your life characteristically marked? And I, again, like, like sometimes I'm quick to speak. I still think I'm a Christian. But is your life characteristically marked by no desire for obedience at all? You come here, you hear it. Like this is, when we baptize people, isn't that like almost everyone's story? Is I grew up in church, I went to Sunday school, went to VBS, I prayed a prayer, which isn't found in the Bible at all, by the way. I asked Jesus to come to my heart, and he, he came in, but nothing ever happened until I was in my 20s, or late, late 20s, early 30s, and I heard the gospel, and it changed my life. Like, that's the story of the people of the grove. So maybe there's someone here today who, who, who feels like they've received the word, but it hasn't changed them at all, and you want to receive the word. Like, so, so when, when I close and I pray, I'll, and we're singing, I'll be off over here, and if you want to come pray and just, just like, man, I, I, want, I want Jesus, I want to follow him. I don't want to just be a hearer, I want to be a doer, I want to repent, and I want to turn to him, and I want to submit to his lordship. I'll be over here, I'd love just to talk to you what that looks like, to pray with you. But I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Could this be God in his own will bringing you forth by the word of truth so that you could be a kind of first fruit of his creatures? That's my prayer. People would hear the gospel be brought forth and made into a first fruit. So as we close, we'll, we'll sing here in a minute. We will um, have communion. If you are a uh, Christian uh, and a follower of Christ and you want to just celebrate that word of truth and how it's changed your life, uh, you're free to come up and to receive that and to celebrate. It's up here. There's bread. There is uh, juice and wine. You can come up the center aisle here, grab it, and then go around this weird stairwell wall here thing um, and go back to your seats and take it privately or with uh, friends or families or however you want to. Um, And we'll sing and celebrate. We'll sing this word of truth, um, the gospel. And so, man, I'm I'm excited uh, to to worship here. But again, I'll be over here. uh, If anyone wants to come and just pray or talk, I'm there for you. Uh, Let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll sing. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Uh, I thank you for James and this letter, God, that we can um, read it and, and see it, God, and just feel um, the weight of James's concern for his, his people scattered throughout the land, Lord. Lord, I share that concern for Spruce Pine and, and, and Burnsville and the surrounding areas, Lord, that there's people who have deceived themselves. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just work in their hearts, God, that you would show them the good news of the gospel that it frees them from this life and that, that whatever they're unwilling to give up and unwilling to, to, to cast aside to follow your son Jesus, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just give them the faith and the grace to do that, to cast those things aside and to follow your son. I love you, Father. I'm th- so thankful for all that you're doing here. We praise you for those who have answered that call, who have submitted to you, your son, and the gospel, a gospel that doesn't just save us, but transforms us. 
So I love you. I'm going to pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.